Welcome back to What Christians Believe. I'm Eman. And I am Pastor Dan. And today we're going to look at objective morality. What do Christians believe? We believe in objective morality. Right. Now, last episode, this is episode two, last episode we talked about how the supernatural is part and parcel of the Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. Something other than just matter. Right. And that naturally bleeds into something like objective morality. Now, we claim as Christians that without the supernatural, without a layer of reality above the material realm, right. there's no such thing as absolute good and evil. Mm. And it is not subject to different cultures' beliefs any any more than whether or not a culture believes in a flat earth or a round earth doesn't change that the earth is round. Mm-hmm. Whether a, a society believes in antibiotics does it does not change the fact that antibiotics exists and work. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, whether or not a society believes that murder is wrong, murder is objectively wrong. Right. Okay. Now, as a pastor, I mean, kind of you're kind of like a basically a professional psychologist. <laughs> moralist rolled into your job. Well, yeah, a little bit. What's been your experience with people who, I mean, isn't really what you're dealing with when people convert after a life of mistakes. You're dealing with a moral entanglement, a series of moral failures. Mm-hmm. And whether or not they call it that, they kind of come to you with the wounds of moral failure the same way I'd go to see my doctor with if I'd left a life of no exercise, eating fast food, mm-hmm. I'd have a series of health failures that right. the doctor has to deal with. Right. Yeah, I think um, it's funny you say like a health question. We were just having a conversation this morning about sin um, and how damaging sin is to people. It's not just something that's wrong. It's something that's hurtful, right? So you hurt yourself. You hurt people around you. You build up a pattern in your life. Um, and we're using the term uh, morality um, morality just means what should be, right? The, the morals are things like we ought to, right? This is the way things should be. This is what's sh- supposed to happen. Um, and so we all have this sense of things should be a certain way, that there's, there's, there is fairness and there's justice and there is right and there is wrong. And um, when we violate those things, whether knowingly or unknowingly, that has an effect and it has the cumulative effect. There's something in us that rebels against breaking our own moral code. And when we do that and when we know we've done it, it eventually adds up. It doesn't work well and people's lives come apart. And there's many reasons why people ask me questions and come to talk to me. But all of them end up is like my life is somehow been altered or even ruined and here's the list of reasons and mixed up in there is all kinds of things that um, have been moral failings which we call in the church sin yeah um so yeah i mean it's it's sin is absolutely terrible it's destructive it destroys that's what the bible says and of course when we if we say oh that's not true if we say, oh, morality isn't a big deal, oh, morality is, but that's what we're saying. Yeah. We're saying our own sinfulness isn't a big deal, and, and God just does not lie to us. Right. It, it is a big deal. And it's interesting how I find that the minutia of the problems we have usually come from basic uh, moral differences. What I mean by that is this. If you don't believe that the human soul exists— and that it's it's planted into a fetus or an embryo right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. That that human, if you're a materialist, human value doesn't really. A person has to be functional and productive to have value. Mm-hmm. So a, a wrong view of the human being leads to an acceptance of things like abortion, uh, basically. Uh, or if someone doesn't view sexuality as being beholden to sacredness and moral virtues, mm-hmm. that basic moral belief that they have, that there is nothing wrong with whatever that happens in the bedroom mm-hmm. leads to a whole host of more complex problems down the road. Right, right. Because that was uh, the thing back in the 60s, right, when they invented birth control or at least the, the widespread use and the effectiveness of birth control that we have now, um, you know, that was a, that was a, a moral question then, okay? So <clears throat> because before... 
the the rule was you only had sex with your spouse because you're going to get babies when that happens. So therefore, uh, we don't do that unless we're married to each other. That was how it all worked. And largely across societies and throughout history, there is some kind of family, some kind of unit that all of this works in. And then when you take it apart, it doesn't work anymore. We found out the same thing with the whole free love in the 60s and 70s. It didn't pan out the way everybody thought it was going to. And now we are in a world where our young people are just walking around in just clueless and um, getting so much damage thrust upon them by not understanding. And we it's the thing, we just opened this up and all of a sudden it made a host of more complicated problems that we just don't have answers to. And we've seen the destructiveness of that. You know, what came out of all that? Um, well, we have more unwed um, people now that are parents, which means more fatherless babies, more, you know, p- kids up for adoption, more child abuse for kids that aren't wanted. Um, and, and now we're kind of in this, well, then who should s- sleep with who? And what are the rules around how all that works? And we get into this argument of consent, and then it's just it just gets a, a, to become a dog's breakfast of of ludicrous things. And no wonder our young people are walking around no no clue what yep. to do about so I'm just jettison morality, and we jettison the ability to live with each other. Yep. Yeah, and then the the ironic thing is our society has to step in. And pay lip service to, let's say, the Christian view of marriage. Mm. And for example, in BC, in British Columbia, and I think in other places in Canada and even in the US, if you cohabitate, if you move in with your girlfriend for more than, I think, six months, you're basically married. Mm. The state has realized that you can't just shack up with whoever you want because there's a societal impact. Mm. So, you know... Girl moves in with guy. It's his apartment or his house. She helps him pay the mortgage for four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, you know, she doesn't build any equity herself. He kicks her out because it's his house. They break up, mm-hmm. and now she's basically in a in a bad situation, uh, especially if they've had a kid as well. Mm-hmm. So the state has to say, marriage is actually not just a tr- uh, cultural tradition. Mm-hmm. It's an actual real fabric of nature, and it causes major societal destruction if we don't force people to be married. Yeah. So now the state Before marries you children. whether you like it or yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, you know. And the same thing when I watch any sort of uh, um, couple. Let's say you look at a um, uh, a gay couple. Usually, you will see one of them morphs into the male dominant personality, and the other one more towards the traditional female personality. There mm-hmm. seems to be. There's a paying lip service to traditional Christian marriage in a sense, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's kind of the, one of the best evidences for an objective morality is that you it just never gets stamped out. Mm-hmm. No matter what happens in every society, in every culture, in every time, in every place, the moral reality comes through even in the most unnatural of circumstances or the most worldly of circumstances, you know, we can say two dads are equal to a mom and a dad. And, and, you know, we can, we can be like, okay, well, that's going to be work. But when you actually see it play out, like you said, they're not the same. Like one gravitates this way. One gravitates the other. It's the, the, um, the order of creation comes screaming through everything, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no matter how much we try to suppress it. Yep. No, I agree. And this is where Sam Harris, uh, I think as an atheist, Sam Harris has probably done the best, most effective job at trying to wrap the atheist worldview around morality. Mm. Uh, I saw him debate William Lane Craig one time. And although I think William Lane Craig won the debate on a substantial level, like who had the most logical, coherent case, mm-hmm. would have been William Lane Craig. But I found that stylistically, Sam Harris carried the day. Mm. And he's tricky because he'll say things like, Morality is not as easy as a black and white system. So, for example, you know, who has, how can you give a singular number of good versus bad on someone's physical health? We all have a compound of good and bad things about our health, but altogether we can tell when we're getting, and feel when we're getting healthier. Mm. You know, no one doubts when they're feeling better after they take medicine, you know. Right. Um, but he goes, how do you give it a, neat little number or neat little system 
uh, and it's something we discover over time. Hmm. So in the same way, uh, when a society is becoming more moral, they'll feel it. They'll know it. There'll mm-hmm. be uh, there'll be less suicides. There'll be um, less uh, broken relationships. There'll be whatever he says. You can now. He, he's trying to say that that means that morality is a physical thing. That a physical universe could de- deliver moral values mm-hmm. whether or not we are theist or atheist right. in the same way that we're all bumbling our way towards greater health and prosperity mm-hmm. yeah now i mean there's an easy answer to that and william lane craig pointed it out it's just harris is a more effective communicator i find especially in, in these younger guys in the popular culture can follow the basic answer that craig gave that is also true is that for morality to be real sam just because Sam can point to the fact that we all detect greater morality does not mean that, therefore, morality is physical. Mm-hmm. That's a non sequitur. Right. For example, let's say Sam Harris, there, there have been barbaric tribes in the past whose values clash terribly with Western values mm-hmm. uh, back in the fall of Rome. And what you have is people whose morality is, is asymmetrical enough to ours that um, we just can't live together. Mm-hmm. They valued death and destruction. The Assyrians valued death and destruction. Now, when those two civilizations clash, if the barbarians win, well, that's neither good or bad. That just means the Canucks beat the mighty ducks. Mm-hmm. It's sports team versus sports team. There is no appealing to a higher thing above both sports teams. I can't say, I mean, personally, if the Montreal Canadiens lose in the playoffs, I think it's immoral, personally, Oh yeah, because I'm a Can- I'm Canadians fan. But in reality... It's normal, though. But I'm just... <laughs> In reality, there's no moral event there. Mm-hmm. There's simply competition and victory for one or the other. Mm-hmm. So if we all... We do not think that really about morality. Mm-hmm. If I get... Uh, if I go into a court and I get falsely accused and convicted, uh, the systems beat me. Mm-hmm. But if I'm a falsely accused and an incarcerated individual... The immorality of it, I, I'm not appeased by the fact that I simply lost a sports contest called me versus the state. Mm-hmm. I'll feel the injustice and it burns within me because we know something's been imbalanced. Mm-hmm. Well, people, <clears throat> in that case, what you're you're appealing to um, an objective source of fairness, right? So if you're un, you know, um, unlawfully um, com- uh, convicted of a crime, right? You're innocent. They declared you guilty and put you in jail. Is that wrong? Is that unfair? Who says? By what measure are you saying that that is an unfair treatment of another human being? Why? What makes it unfair? Um, And then you can go through all kinds of societal community things where we decide together for the better. You can go through all of that stuff as to why that is a wrong thing. But eventually you just keep coming up with examples where that doesn't work anymore, right? Because there is no obvious benefit to society, right? That, that enforces or promotes morality. But at the same time, we all know that it's true, right? Mm -hmm. We all feel this sense of, you know, eventually we can describe a situation where to everybody that lives that, okay, yeah, that's wrong. Yeah. Right. You're you're, you're um, the, the killing the baby on the airplane thing. Yeah. Like, what's that? Do that one because yeah. that's. Well, I, I was in an argument online with a, with a, an atheist, and I said morality. Um, he, I said to him, "Is there if a, he said he, his point was that morality is just what the society agrees upon? It's completely subjective, mm-hmm. like cuisine. You know, mm-hmm. everyone loves to eat a you know poutine in Quebec. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that that's universally admired food, by the way, but <laughs> may not be right." Yeah. So he said, it's just whatever a society comes up with. It's their culture. Mm-hmm. It's completely arbitrary and subjective, not objective. Right. I said, okay, what about torturing babies for the fun of it? Mm-hmm. You know, the most horrific thing you could do to a, uh, an innocent child. And they said, well, the reason I don't like it, it's a reaction in my heart to something that's evolutionary. Mm-hmm. So survival ba- mechanism, the survival value of an action is what we feel physically, like as emotions. Mm-hmm. So he said... My strong emotions against torturing babies for fun is ultimately rooted in a survival instinct. Right. I said, okay, so the survival value of a of an action is its ultimate sole arbitrator of whether or not you think it's something you would desire. Mm-hmm. 
two problems with that. Number one is it still goes back to the sports analogy. You don't like torturing babies for fun. I do. Neither of us is ultimately right because for him to be on board with what's actually right, there would have to be something outside of the two of us that we could point to, Mm -hmm. which in his worldview there isn't. Mm -hmm. So now it's just me versus him. Right. Now, let's say a society has gotten to the point where they, they have... Um, accepted that torturing babies for fun is okay and they're on their way out. So what? Who's to say survival is actually desirable mm-hmm. or versus non-desirable? Right. Now, to really put them in a corner, I, I came up with a thought experiment. I said, I'm on an airplane over the Himalayas, just me and a baby. Mat- catastrophic failure, run out of gas, we're plummeting. There's no gas. There's nothing we can do and the battery's dead on the airplane. We're crashing you know, 15,000 feet into rock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is no survival value in the next few moments of existence, right. none. Me and the baby are going to die. I turn around as a sicko that I am and torture that baby for my last fleeting pleasure. Because the survival outcome is the same, have I not also committed an, an immorality? Right, okay. So he has to say, well, the survival value is completely washed, whether you torture him or not. Mm-hmm. So... The torturing itself is now meaningless because right. there's no survival value to doing it versus not doing it. Right. And he couldn't answer it. He's like, he didn't like it, but he couldn't answer it. Yeah, I think that's kind of the goes al- along with the reduction of harm argument. If what is moral is what produces human happiness and reduces human harm, that is what is moral. But you can see how that doesn't solve the problem either because mm-hmm. uh, what happens when there is no obvious harm reduction exactly. or harm increase, yep. right? Or it, it doesn't make somebody happy, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it, like all the, all the criteria eventually can be described away and you're back to preference, yep. which is what always comes back to. Well, I prefer that... People don't murder other people. That's what it is. It's yep. not right or wrong. I just prefer it that way. Our morality is elevated to an infinitely higher form. It's objectively wrong. Right. Something can be objectively wrong, no matter how you feel about it. But that would not be a common accepted belief to articulate in yep. our secular society. Exactly. Right. Truth is relative. Therefore, morality is relative. And I just, I don't think the Bible talks like that. And I think there is actually an objective fact that proves that we all believe that there is a such a thing as a real morality. Um, it hasn't. Not that we've all agreed. That's the thing. We don't all agree on it. That's we could never get to the point where we're like can say, okay, our morality is the stuff we agree on. How much stuff do we agree on in this world? Mm-hmm. Not much, right? Mm-hmm. We're not getting any. We're not getting anywhere close to that one. So we're all making up moralities all over the place, right? Everybody has their own. I think what the biggest um, sign for us in that is um, the conscience. God, but Paul says in uh, Romans two, right, that the conscience here. I got it right here. Let me just uh, read it for us. He's talking about unbelievers and the world around um, the unsaved. Um, where is it? 2015. Yes. Um, for all who have sinned um, without the law will also perish without the law. Right? So he's basically kind of getting the idea like everybody knows what right and wrong is. Everybody mm-hmm. knows there's some some things you should do and shouldn't do and there's consequences. He, right? And then he says they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. They show that they know this um, while their conscience bears witness, right? And their conflicting thoughts accuse or excuse them, right? Everybody is familiar with the feeling of, I know I've done something wrong. There is no way to get around that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the thing is or how you came to believe it was right or wrong. You believe in right and wrong because you feel it when you violate it yourself. Where does that come from if it does not come from somewhere else? Because it doesn't come naturally. Animals don't struggle with this. Um, Trout can eat other trout's babies in the stream, and there is absolutely no evil going on there. If I eat my neighbor's babies, that's a big problem. That is evil, right? So there's everybody knows Mm -hmm. that there is an objective morality because we feel it. Now, we don't all agree, and we don't always necessarily agree in the source of it, but we know it doesn't come from us. Exactly. 
No, and, and like you say, it, it's ingrained, like it says in Romans, and we know that anthropologically. Whether you find a tribe that's been disconnected from the outside world for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. or you go to somewhere in Scandinavia, mm-hmm. uh, and you go look at them anytime in the timeline, you know, in 1000 AD currently, there is a remarkable similarity in people's morality. You know, mm-hmm. no one no one values cowardice in battle. Right. Uh, they may differ in the how many. This is a, right. I'm borrowing it from C.S. Lewis. Yeah. You, you no matter how many wives a society agrees upon having for one man, they agree you shouldn't sleep with someone else's. Totally. You know. Absolutely. There's a remark, and people will my my non-Christians friends, my atheist friends will say, well, that goes to show you that you don't need you know Christianity to have morality. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, I agree. But my argument right now is, it shows you that morality is real. Because anytime something is incredibly similar across right. culture, across time and culture, right. it's evidence that people are following a plumb line that we all know and right. see. Therefore, it's not object- subjective, it's actually quite objective. Right, yeah. Well, the, the thing about Christianity and other religions or worldviews is not arguing for the existence of morality it's their argument is for the source of the morality right right and why morality is important and what morality leads to those are the kinds of but the religions and the worldviews of the world don't argue over the existence of morals mm. right only the, atheism does only atheism does right. everybody else kind of but just now as knows. the new atheists will show the old school atheists like uh, uh, nietzsche frederick nietzsche mm-hmm. sartre and the existentialists they said no morality anything mm-hmm. goes like nietzsche lamented the fact that he said we're entering into a period of time where western society is going to realize there is no god mm-hmm. and he goes make no mistake no god no morality. Right. All hell's going to break loose. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, he said the 20th century will be the bloodiest century in history, which he was right. Mm-hmm. More people died uh, in war in the 20, 20th century than all 19 previous centuries put together. Mm-hmm. And he also said that we are going to have a might makes right mentality, which, you know, the Nazis, the, the Bolsheviks, everyone had that mentality. It, it, his prediction came true. Mm-hmm. The new atheists realized the kind of hell on earth you unleash when you throw morality out. And they try and circumvent that. Now they're trying to—they're trying to court morality back again into their worldview because everyone yeah, realizes yeah. you do need it. Yeah. But you're right. They say the source is just chemistry. We say that's impossible. That's impossible. Chemistry just does what chemistry does. Yes. Yes. So yeah, we had that—that that was the talk last week, right? Right. Right. There is an objective, um, outside source of yep. existence around us, and we all know it. And uh, the whole thing about, oh, well, you know, as soon as everybody realizes that there is no God, that's never going to happen because there is a God, Mm -hmm. right? And most people acknowledge that there is one. And some, um, thankfully, the Bible says, uh, seek God and are rewarded for seeking God and end up knowing God, right? And uh, that's the the message of the Bible is that God can be known, therefore Mm -hmm. right and wrong could be known, fair and unfair can be known, right? Justice and injustice. He's put into our hearts a conscience, a a guide, Mm -hmm. right? And we're made in his image, therefore we we have the capacity for moral knowledge Mm -hmm. and uh, and the capacity to adhere to it, Mm -hmm. to know it in a way that other creatures can't. And I just think that's the best evidence for it. Like, you, it just cannot be stamped out mm-hmm. because it keeps the image of God keeps coming through humanity, even in its fallen state, yep. even in its rebellion, and even in its rejection of the core truths of the Bible. It doesn't matter. The truth is still the truth, and this truth will come out. Yep. It doesn't matter how much you saw. We, my wife and I say this all, all the time, man. I mean, we're just waiting for and truth and time walk hand in hand right mm. they will eventually come out like you cannot that's the whole argument of Romans 1 that humans want to suppress the truth they keep pressing mm. down the truth like a picture that they give is pushing a beach ball under the water of the pool mm-hmm. and you have to work so hard to keep and yeah. you slip up once and up it pops yep that's the story of morality and goodness and fairness and truth you yeah. you can try and say that those things aren't important and and fudge them around they keep popping up you know every every ter- every era every people group they may you know they may 
kill other people. They made me more violent, more warlike or whatever. But all of them still have a group of people that they won't kill. And then they think it's wrong to kill. Like, yeah. you you know, you can you can sleep with this many, but you can't sleep with that many. Well, you can kill the guys in that village, but you can't kill your neighbor. Yeah. Right? There's always some kind of rule of yeah. what's going to be acceptable and what isn't. And I, I think that's the best argument for, like, there is. Because yeah. we behave like that. Yeah, yeah and... and- a point usually brought up as well at, uh, by the people who don't have a theistic worldview is, well, what about moral dilemmas? Mm. If, if everything's so black and white, how can you have moral dilemmas? Mm. Like a situation in which, for example, uh, thou shalt not lie, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have a German Christian family in World War II hiding Jewish family in their basement Mm -hmm. and the government comes and we're supposed to obey government Mm. and says, are you harboring any, you know, Jews? Well, at that point you have a moral dilemma, right? Uh, Thou shalt not lie versus thou shalt not kill because by telling them they're there, you're effectively killing your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Now I believe that there is a moral hierarchy to things, right? It doesn't mean that any one individual factor is, no, no longer true just because they come head to head. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, it's again evidence in the reality, in the objective reality of moral points that you can even have a moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about, <laughs> you're, you're making plans with your wife. You're trying to form plans with your wife. Uh, you know, do we go have a glass of wine at this place and then go see a movie and then visit such and such? Or do we have dinner over here and then go for a walk at the beach? Well, you can't agree on it. You're going back and forth. There's no right or wrong there. So eventually what ends up happening is the guy goes, sweetheart, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Because there is no moral value to the If the guy knows what's good for him, he does. There's only complexity there. There's no objectivity. Yeah, there's no right or wrong, no moral moral dilemma there. Now, when you have objectivity, you have that, and only then can you have dilemmas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because no point can be shoved to the side and put in in a drawer. Right, okay. When you have objective morality, then and only then can you have dilemmas and complexities. Mm-hmm. And C.S. Lewis uses the, uses the example of basic math and grammar. So you have a grade two or three kid. They're learning one plus one is two, two times two is four, etc. Mm-hmm. They're learning how to spell basic words. They're learning how to use grammar on a simplistic level. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you catch up to them 20 years later when they're in graduate school and they're doing you know, uh, quantum physics. Well, the math in their high-level math class does not violate any of the principles they learned in grade one and two. It just right. expands on them. Yeah. And same thing if you go and see a linguist, you know, in university, mm-hmm. the l- rules of language haven't changed. They're just more. There's more. There's more of them added on top of each other to add a complex puzzle to fix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So moral complexity doesn't mean moral subjectivity. It's a matter of fact, the exact opposite. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Because uh, the other thing to, to put in that also to, to understand why there are moral dilemmas, <clears throat> it's not because there aren't real, objective, solid, understandable morals. Um, they're outlined, um, several of the main ones in the Bible. Um but we have something the Bible also says is, uh, and, and we are fallen. We are imperfect. We don't yeah. work how we are supposed to work when originally designed. Yeah. So I, a lot of the moral dilemma is a perception problem on our part. We can't see clearly enough anymore. Right. So that's why it's so important that we acknowledge an objective source of truth and pursue that truth outside of us because we are imperfect beings looking for a perfect answer. And if we ever start imagining that we can come up with the perfect answer, being imperfect beings, we're on the road to disaster and mm-hmm. destruction because that's not how it works. We have moral dilemmas because we're fallen and sinful and selfish and short-sighted and yes. all of those things. That's why we have moral that's dilemmas. the second source of moral dilemmas is moral confusion. Right, yeah. But even if you didn't have moral confusion... But God is not confused about morality. Like Christ would know exactly what to do with any moral dilemma. Totally. But it doesn't mean there would be a complex structure going on in his brain to find out the right calculus answer. Well, we we, we call people that have this skill, we have a name for them in our world, people who understand moral dilemmas and how to think through them, we call them wise, mm-hmm. right? That's the the wisdom of the wise is understanding these things and how to um, 
still uh, be moral yet solve complicated problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the reputations of King Solomon was his wisdom in that he could solve moral dilemmas and dilemmas of other kinds as well, but that's called wisdom, and hopefully we're all pursuing it um, so that we can handle moral dilemmas when they there's come a, to there's us. There's also a word for the exact opposite of that, politicians. <laughs> oh, gee. That's a good one. Okay, well, I cut that part out of that. <laughs> no, no. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, I, I, can I just ask another, uh, yes. point out another thing here yep. that um, sometimes comes up a lot um, with me is because you'll hear, you know, morality um, being then put down or looked down upon or called by the secular world as, um, well, those are just the, the Christians out to trying to please God by following his rules. And, uh, you know, if, if you're good enough, then God will love you. It's all attached to morality in mm-hmm. our world, right? Mm-hmm. If, I just want to say that's not what the Bible talks about when right. it talks about It's not the how, moral Olympics. It's, no, it's not. It's the, when the Bible talks about um, morals, there's much more going on there. When it talks about what ought to be and how people should behave and what they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do and not do, it's not about... Be good enough so I will like you. Exactly. And be good enough so I will give you money or I'm that bigger house or a big fan. That's not what's happening there. Yet in our world, we have that created. What God has said is something way more um, amazing than that. I mean, when everybody thinks about mor- morality of the Bible, what do they, th- they think about? Exodus 20, mm-hmm. right? The Ten Commandments. Yeah. That's what it means to be moral. Yes, that's true. But that wasn't the point, really, of what God was doing there. You've got to think about this. Why morality is important? Because the more moral a society is, the more free that society is. Morality leads, leads to freedom, not constraint, right? The law of God leads to freedom, not constraint, right? The, the, when you read the story of the Old Testament of, of the Exodus and the, the nation of Israel coming out and what God says to them at that moment, because they came from nowhere. They, they were slaves. They had zero freedom. They had zero life and society of their own. They were slaves to the Egyptian world. They had no experience of what it would be like to live as a free people. And God calls them all together and he says, I am the Lord your God who have freed you from slavery in Egypt. Here's how to be free. Worship me. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. That's how to be free. That's what he's saying, right? So morality is freedom, not constraint. Can you imagine a world where everybody voluntarily and completely never stole anything. Mm-hmm. How free would we be? We would never have to lock a door again. We'd never have to have keys anymore. Only locksmiths would lament that world. <laughs> you could walk into the bank and say, and I have $800 officers. in the bank. Can I yeah, have it? And they'd be yeah. like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, can you well, imagine you the freedom? You wouldn't have to have a bank account. You could just leave it in a shoebox on you your front porch. You could leave it on your front porch. Absolutely. <laughs> can you imagine a world where you knew that whatever came out of that other person's mouth it was true? It's not a lie. Yeah. Like that's that's the thing. Psychologists would be out of business. Um, uh, I just don't like this idea that goodness and morality is some kind of thing from God that He has, you know, you know, put a wet blanket on. No, He's telling us this is how to be free. And not only that, but like you said, you you hint you were saying that earlier, God is not watching. God does not accept those who are morally excellent, right? Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, He says outright, none of you are morally excellent. So he's not looking for people who are going to win the moral Olympics and make the team Mm -hmm. and the rest of the losers can go to hell. He's saying, I'm going to accept you based on my perfect morality. If you want to be accepted by me Mm -hmm. and then I will coach you into, and the more you obey at that point, the freer you get, the quicker you get free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's not the basis on which he kicks people on or off the team is how much we're trying to be moral. Right. Like that's what you said originally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, that definitely um, morality is something that God has given us for human flourishing, um, and it's to be pursued and it's to be loved, um, but it's not to be seen as a tool to to Oppressors. earn yes, or salvation earn, yes. from God. Yeah, I mean, every other system is that way. For example, right. if you want to have a successful 
uh, business. You have to follow rules. You know, everywhere in life, if you don't follow disciplined rules, you don't succeed. And if you mm -hmm. do succeed financially, here comes the freedom mm -hmm. for your time and leisure. Mm -hmm. uh, to exercise the body and not damage it needs you to follow rules, dietary and exercise rules. But once you're fit and trim and, 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 and flexible, mm -hmm. Life's a lot easier. Life's mm -hmm. a lot more energetic, ironically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but with God, it's it, it, with a business or a, a sports endeavor, you have to make the team. Right. The beautiful thing about God is it says you don't have to be a hero. You just have to be willing. Right. And then I will put my morality over you to cover you at judgment. Yeah. And then, but in this life, the more you obey me and follow my coaching, mm -hmm. the better your life gets. Not the not, and that's what was C.S. Lewis's book. Uh, is really his biography is really about his conversion throughout and he, he goes over his whole life story to lead towards his conversion and the title of the book is surprised by joy mm -hmm. and his whole one of his main points in the book is i thought going he, when he became a christian it was because he intellectually realized christianity was true but he hated the idea of becoming christian mm -hmm. but because he followed his logic he says in his book, I was perhaps the most dejected convert in all of England that night when I bent the knee and said, God is God and I am not. Mm -hmm. But then as he entered into the Christian life, um, systematically, he was surprised by the other thing, which is it brought joy for the first time in his life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Hmm. Yeah, that's that's good. We should probably just be clear um, with our wording here a little bit. Um, morality is kind of like right it's righteousness right. right that's the thing so when we talk in biblical terms um our righteous our own righteousness is insufficient for us to earn favor right. with a holy god yeah god therefore like you said god's own righteousness needs to be given to you and to me in order for us to be accepted by god his own perfect righteousness is necessary, not our imperfect one. So yep. no amount of striving for exactly. a better version of our imperfect morality is going to provide us with the righteousness of God yep. that's needed. Yep. Um, I think this goes back to when um, we were talking last week. All of this stuff flows out of there has to be more, right? If you're going to just stick with there is only nature, there's only chemicals, there's only survival of the fittest, there's only physics, there's only that kind of stuff. You're never going to have answers to these other things that, to be honest, those are the real issues that plague yep. society, right? Oh, yeah. the, the moral things about what is right and what is wrong, because everybody knows this whole idea of um, you know, harm reduction or human happiness, they're nothing we can grab and hang on to. They're very, very elusive. We all know that, right? You get yep. the new car, it's all it's all great for a week, and then the new car smell wears off, and two years later, you're going, why do I have this stupid car? I got another, right? It just keeps uh, going like that. If we're going to insist like that, it's just going to be a life of uh, futility. And I think the Bible is true in that God has... Um, placed in this world, the convict through His own Spirit, it's called the general, uh, called general revelation. But the general ministry of the Holy Spirit in this earth is to convict mankind of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's general grace, mm -hmm. right? God, in His good grace and compassion, and towards His create creation, He wants us to feel that. So He places that in every single person's heart. This idea of there's something wrong, and there shouldn't be. That it, it sh there should be right. These are, these shouldn't be wrong. They should be right, and somebody's going to have to pay for it. Yeah. Right. Everybody feels that. Well, it's probably the most common thread in all worldviews that something's wrong with mankind. Mm -hmm. uh, my atheist environmentalist friends will say, nature is fine. It works a lot, and it's true. We, we would agree that nature works according to the rules that God has given her. Mm -hmm. And without deviating, we're the creatures who can choose to obey or disobey moral law. Mm -hmm. And that's the free will. So that's the, that's the, the reason we don't follow moral law as cleanly as you know plants follow biological chemical laws mm -hmm. is because we are actual we're not robots we're right. actually free agents individually created with free will mm -hmm. and now we have created a system in which yeah everyone agrees something's wrong with mankind god's creation god's handiwork mm -hmm. planets physics gravity uh, molecular laws biology 
works fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's us that are the problem. Mm-hmm. Nobody blames animals. People always say, you know, every world you've ever seen, whether it's Hinduism, Mormonism, uh, um, Islam, or environmentalism, something's wrong primarily with our behavior. Yep. And that's yeah. interesting. And the, the one thing I'll always get to is, okay, if, if I convince someone that morality is objectively real, and it needs a theistic or a supernatural worldview in which to be explained. Because yes, an atheist can be quite moral, sometimes more moral than a professing Christian. Mm-hmm. What they cannot do, though, is they give a reason for the existence of morality. They cannot have a coherent worldview. Right. And my example is flat earthers, flat earthers versus round earthers. If the earth was flat, there wouldn't be enough cumulative mass underneath our feet to cause the gravity to give us the weight that we have. Mm-hmm. We know how gravity works. We can test it in small instances. So extrapolate that to, you know, the globe. We'd be jumping about 75 feet into the air if the (laughs) earth was flat, Mm -hmm. right? And water would be a vapor as opposed to, you know, bodies of water. Mm -hmm. Now, a a flat earther fully believes in a flat earth as they walk around a round earth. Their worldview simply cannot explain the physical reality around them. Mm -hmm. And that's the answer to the moral atheist. They can follow, feel, and understand the laws of morality. They cannot explain its existence logically, mm-hmm. coherently. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I, it, what, it's, once you throw out in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then we can just make whatever up, yep. right? You can just make up whatever you want after that, yep. right? There either is a God or there is not. And um, I, actually, I shouldn't say that. There is a God. Mm-hmm. You either believe that or you pretend you don't, right? Right, Because everybody knows that there is something more going on here mm-hmm. and there must be an outside source of X or mm-hmm. Y. or like we, we have this draw, this, this weight that we carry, this thing that we can't get out of our heads that no matter what we try and do to escape it, we cannot run away from. Mm-hmm. There is more than just me here now, today, and gone tomorrow. Yeah. Nobody behaves consistently with, as far as my life experiences, a materialist worldview is never consistently adhered to. Right. And and nobody nobody lives as if truth is relative or morality is relative. You don't, I don't live like the laws of aerodynamics are relative and then mm. i you know quiz my pilot to say what do you believe right about the laws of like you land bernoulli's principle or, or right whatever. side up yeah, like, you, come on. are you progressive enough to land this plane on its wingtip they remember uh, ravi used to tell that I, I guess i don't know if we're allowed to use ravi's name anymore <laughs> after all that that's another topic anyway <laughs> he used to tell the story about um this modern art building that they made in uh, New York. I, I forget what it was called, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And it kind of looked like there's stairways to nowhere yeah. and balconies you can't get to and walls that are cr- half there. And, cr- and, um, and it's, you know, he's like, why is it like this? And, you know, it's, the guy was, oh, well, it's just like the unknowableness and it's kind of like the abstract of creation. And he's like, yeah, um, we just wanted to make it look like nothing. And they're like, uh, yeah, but there was no did, right the, or wrong. did the architect use all that or did he use the rules for making buildings? Yeah. Right? It still has to have structural <laughs> totally, sound. Yeah. It's, just because it's functional. You can try and fake look like it just got slapped together, but I yeah. guarantee you he followed all the laws of engineering to make that building. The city, the city uh, uh, inspector made sure everything was up to code according mm. to the absolute objective laws of physics. Totally. For the structure. Yeah. We don't live like uh, truth no. is relative. No, I think that as Christians, we can live the most consistent across mm-hmm. the board. I can accept that there are random events of evil in this world that don't fit a pattern, mm-hmm. but I also uh, realize that there is such a thing as, as evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can accept that some, some things that happens to the human mind and body are chemical and physical, but the materialist only has that. Right. So all the phenomena that go beyond that, I have a, I have a explanation, a logical, coherent explanation for mm-hmm. my desires, my need for love and purpose and meaning. Atheists, don't like mm-hmm. when Sam Harris says uh, in this one uh, very powerful video. He says, "What do you tell as a as a as a theist? What do you tell a little girl whose parents have been killed in a car accident? Now she's an orphan, right? Or what do you tell parents whose kid is dying of cancer? Tell them about your you know your morality and your good God that's taking care of everybody. Mm-hmm. Powerful point on the outset, but then I, I twist that around. I'm saying, well, what do you tell the girl whose parents have been killed? 
an atheist, if they were honest and not just basically patting the girl on the head and, and, and you know, make-believing her, and an honest atheist would tell that little girl, it doesn't matter that your parents have died. Um, it, it, and eventually all your emotions about your parents dying are just chemicals rolling around your brain. Mm -hmm. You don't mean anything. You're not going anywhere. All of us are going to be snuffed out anyways. There is your sadness, your grief isn't real. Yeah, It yeah. is simply a chemical bubble that is called your cranium. What a great message. Have a nice life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so on the outset, he sounds like he's got us checkmated. Mm -hmm. But in reality, if, if, if we were to look at it honestly, his message is far grimmer because the theist can say, your parents never died. They transitioned to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You're an eternal being with eternal value. Mm -hmm. You can meet up with them again in a place where there is no pain, there is no randomness, and mm -hmm. any, anything else. The atheists can't do that. They can right. just say, yeah, it sucks, and that doesn't even matter. Yeah, yeah. Deal with it. Yeah. And even the quote-unquote agnostic slant to the atheist view, right? They kind of like, um, okay, I won't go hardcore atheist. I'll agree that there is an unknown something going on, mm -hmm. right? Well, that's the message of the Bible, right? Yeah. What is unknown to us, what, what, what can't be perceived by ourselves, by our own efforts and wisdom, God in his great grace and mercy has revealed to us. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, it, there's an answer, yeah. right? Atheism provides no answers mm -hmm. for this stuff that's going on inside of us. Yeah. It's just like, hey, it's a bunch of chemicals, um, doesn't matter anyway, we're all going to die. Yep. Right. And the earth is going to die and none, there'd be nobody left to remember anything. Exactly. Right. So, hey, have a, have a great life. Yeah. I don't think so. That's not uh, any kind of answer. And, and the, more, the, the Bible more, gives that answer. Yes. Right. That we have incredible hope because we have truth and we have right, righteousness and we have justice and we have eternity and we have life and all of those things that the Bible says. God has an answer for all of this. Yes. And if you look at the existentialists in the uh, late 19th and early 20th century, the French existentialists, the German existentialists, the nihilists, you read a lot of them committed suicide. And one of the things that they brought up, I think it was Jean-Paul Sartre who said, the number one question in life, really, that answers all the other questions is, why not commit suicide? Mm -hmm. And the whole point behind that question was, what does man do in the face of the meaninglessness of life. Mm -hmm. And when you read The Existentialist, to me, it's like if I found a journal on an island and I realized the person who had written the journal entry was suffering from dehydration and eventually was going to die of thirst. Mm -hmm. But this person just happened to not believe in water. <laughs> and they said, I have a parched throat. I'm having a headache. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm no longer able to urinate. Um, my heart palpitations seem to be increasing. If I'm a physician looking at this guy's writing, I'm like, this guy's dying of dehydration. Mm -hmm. So he just needs water. So the clue to me that existentialists are not diagnosing the human condition correctly is that they are foregoing the one thing that would alleviate all their symptoms, mm. which is meaning and purpose, which can only exist in a realm where it is not materialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't come from so us. What's interesting, what the answer I sometimes, the question I sometimes get asked once you've pushed the argument this far is, well, what makes me believe that Christians have the right? Because if you say every every culture has a fairly similar morality, why in the world would Christianity be special? Mm. And it's a very good question. It's a question worth answering. Um, probably the easiest way I can give credibility to the Christian worldview up, up and above other worldviews is to point to the fact that even atheists like Peter Singer will say the Western world's ethical system is primarily Judeo-Christian. And the term that's sometimes used is we are Athens meets Jerusalem. So we've borrowed a lot of the democratic practices of the Athenians mm -hmm. during the Greek, the Greek uh, golden age, but we infused it with Judeo-Christian ethics. Right. And what has the result been? I mean, that's how you test anything out. If, you, if you're an athlete and you go from one trainer to the next, mm -hmm. the results tell you who's doing a better job. Sure. Now, at night, if you look at a satellite picture of the Earth at night, you can demarcate pretty specifically where the Western world is. It's clearly the wealthiest, most 
technologically advanced because it's the one that's lit up mm-hmm. versus the one that's dark. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the number one destination for immigration on earth, even to this day. No matter what other continent you're on, people want to get to the West. We are the, we are the birthplace of the scientific revolution. We are the birthplace of human rights. Yeah. We are the originators of women's rights. And we are the first civilization in history to abolish slavery. We're the, we're the inventors of the middle class where you have a mass amount of your citizens that are independently, that are wealthy, independent of a king, a government or anything else. Mm. We are the, argue, we could argue, make a strong argument for the fact that we are the peak of civilization. Mm. That makes me comfortable knowing that ultimately the backbone of my society, which is this much more successful than others, is Judeo-Christian. Mm-hmm. And it is a clue as to the fact that the way we look at life, the rules we follow are superior. They're closer to the truth, if not the truth itself. Me and you would say, they're the truth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that just proves the the point of, of that uh, God is truth, God is moral, God is good. Because the societies that have pursued that line of thinking... Uh, that that belief for the longest, um, the most wholeheartedly, like I said at the beginning, sin has a cost. Sin is destructive. Therefore, the less sin, the more truth, the more righteousness, the more the human flourishing. That's what God says, right? The more you follow me, the more you will flourish. The more you reject me, the worse off you're going to be. And when you look at our world, I mean, and you're right, like Western society is fantastic. We live like kings compared to everybody else in all of human history. Um, and we have hospitals and we have, uh, you know, social programs and we don't enslave each other and we don't randomly kill and we we don't steal for the most part from others. We respect people, you know, we don't break into our neighbor's houses. All of that, I think... It, you know, I don't not I think is because of the pursuit of righteousness that the people of God have had um, over the centuries, and it's just evidence that truth and and goodness are what God has designed for man. Yeah, right. Well, so perfect. Well, thank you, Pastor Dan, and that'll bring this session to an end. We'll see you guys next week. Bye bye.